Hello there, Obi-Wan Kenobi here, and you're listening to Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast, brought to you by StarWarsDaily.com. The Force will be with you, always. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, the Galactic Republic, Confederacy of Independent Systems, and various mercenary factions vie for control of the galaxy in a seemingly never-ending conflict known as the Clone Wars. Caught in the middle of this epic struggle, the Jedi Knights strive to maintain order and civility in a deadly game that is being manipulated by the Dark Lords of the Sith. From the war-torn front lines, Michael Cohen, Matthew Krenke, and their dedicated team of analysts emerge as voices of truth and stability in these dark and deceptive times. Hey, Clone Wars fans, welcome back to Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast, the original podcast dedicated to the Clone Wars animated series. This is episode number 116 for the episode Shades of Reason. I am your friendly co-host, Matt the Crankster Cranky, and joining me, as always, your creator, Michael Cohen. What's up, my friend? Welcome back. Holy smokes. Good stuff. Holy yeah. smokes. It's been a week, eh? I, I, <laughs> yeah. Man, it feels <laughs> like it was only yesterday that we were recording, but mm-hmm. I, so much has happened over the course of the last seven days, I know. yeah, news it's and crazy. Huh? So let's uh, let's just jump right into the news and talk about this big stuff. Okay, let's do that. Welcome. I have been expecting you. This is just the beginning. This is where the fun begins. Join us or die. Our meeting was not a coincidence. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. <laughs> Oh, and Mike, some news that we have been waiting for for quite a while mm-hmm. now. Um, but uh, yes, Jar Jar Abrams, as uh, what's his name <laughs> likes to say, who is Ke- that? Kevin Smith. Yeah, Kevin Smith. Yeah, you know we haven't got a chance to talk about this yet, and uh, he's directing episode seven. Your thoughts? Go, go for I- it. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, on on Thursday, uh, well, I guess it was what day was the was the the news sort of leaked. I guess that was Wednesday, right? It was a day, yeah, a day before, right? Yeah. It was like, well, we got the official announcement on Friday, Friday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it was Thursday. Thursday, this leak comes out and all the news sites are picking it up, just like the Zack Snyder thing. Yeah. And uh, it's J.J. Abrams is going to be directing episode seven. Um, and I was incredibly skeptical. There's a post on my Facebook oh, yeah. that yeah. says something to, to the tune of, uh, this is another... Like, everybody getting all upset about J.J. Abrams are all worked up. Relax. It's, it's another fa- false positive. Mark my words. And uh, and I was wrong. I had to eat those words because 24, well, a little more than 24 hours later, uh, they came out and they announced, yes, in fact, J.J. Abrams directing Star Wars Episode Seven. 
Uh, I think about half of the fan community rejoiced and half of the fan community started making lens flare lens jokes. jokes. And yeah. all How many of those did we see? Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to make a joke, make it an original one. But, I, <laughs> God, but you awesome. know, at the end of the day, J.J. Abrams is an incredibly competent, very talented director and producer. And he's mm-hmm. gonna treat Star Wars with the uh, with the respect that it deserves. And he's going to, much like he created a style specifically for Star Trek, and uh, and with Super Eight, he sort of mimicked the Steven Spielberg style. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know his other films, they don't even really follow either of those. I uh, when it comes to Star Wars, I think what he'll do is he'll get in there and he will. He'll adhere to the style that's been set in episodes one through six. Um, there's a very clearly defined look to those movies, and uh, and you know he'll throw in his JJ stuff. He'll throw in a little bit of action. He'll throw in a little bit of uh, of his you know sort of kinetic camera, um, and I'm sure that he'll bring his crew along with him. They they puts movies together as well as they do. But uh, at the end of the day, he's been hired to make a Star Wars movie, not to make a J.J. Abrams movie called Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So he'll he'll treat that with the respect that it deserves. And uh, and and you know, <clears throat> I don't think that it could be in better hands. Uh, I I think that there are other directors who could do just as well. Uh, there are other directors who I want to see get their opportunity. Uh, we talked about Zack Snyder when that all happened. I would love to see Zack Snyder get a Star Wars movie. I'd love to see Joe Johnston get yeah. get a crack at it. I mean, he he learned on under the Lucasfilm Spielberg school of, of filmmaking. So, mm-hmm. uh, and Jurassic Park three is perfect evidence of that. I mean, that that movie fits right in with the other two Jurassic Park films, in my opinion. Uh, so, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see John Favreau get a crack at a star Wars movie. Uh, and there's going to be lots of time for that, I think. And I think there's going to be lots of directors that we haven't even thought of. They're going to want to take a, a bite at the apple. So, so JJ is directing episode seven. Uh, no, I don't think that it's fully confirmed whether or not he's, he'll be doing eight and nine as well. Um, I think that that's probably something that they're looking at right now. I would love to find out that they are filming all three movies Sort of at yeah. once, like a Hobbit, Lord, Lord of the, the Rings style, style thing, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and and then we could just sort of get pieces as it goes and that sort of thing. Um, but we'll see. That it's kind of yet to be determined um, what exactly what they're going to do. But at the end of the day, like J.J. Abrams is gonna he's he's gonna do the best that he possibly can, which is gonna be great. And he's just the first. He's just the first in what will be a long line. Of collaborations mm-hmm. and different artists coming in to pick up the uh, the mantle of George Lucas, uh, much in the same way that Dave Filoni has, and Dave Filoni has has soared with that. I mean, man, Eminence, uh, Revival, Shades of Reason, these episodes mm-hmm. in this Darth Maul arc have proven that they, um, although George may be one of a kind, the way he makes a movie isn't right like it it can be emulated it can be uh replicated i don't want to say duplicated because it's not an exact copy i mean uh the clone wars is a is a different animal and i think that 
that the sequel trilogy will be a different animal as well. But I, what I want to say is no more different than the prequels are to the original trilogy. They're very different types of films. They, they have very different thematic qualities and, and styles, uh, but they fall within the same universe and the same genre. So they share a lot as well. And I think that this, this next trilogy will do the same thing. And J.J. Abrams is going to make it awesome. He's going to make it great. So, mm-hmm. Well, here's my take. i got a couple of things, too. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Jeffrey Jacob Abrams... Uh, of course, Emmy Award winner. He's kind of like the it guy right now, right? I mean, he's yeah. he's the guy. I mean, look at look at his body of work and just television. Every I've watched all of his television shows, and he has he's had a couple, yeah, that didn't make it, uh, Alcatraz and Undercovers. But he created Alias, Lost, Fringe, uh, Person of Interest, which I watched, Alcatraz, I watched, Revolution, I watched. So this guy is you know his TV work is is pretty yeah. flawless. I mean, he's had a couple of uh, the ones that didn't make, like I said, but. And then you talk about his films, which I didn't realize he didn't. He's only done a few films: uh, Star Trek, of course, yeah, um, Mission Impossible Three, Super Eight. So his direct directing work is is pretty good. Did you find it all, at all interesting that you know all these sites before mm-hmm. you know Lucasfilm or Lucasfilm and Disney put it out? I mean, who, where's the, who's the rap? How are they the ones that were to leak this story? Yeah. You know what I mean? Where does this come from? Well, you How know, does this I, happen? You know. I think that we live outside the Hollywood circle, right? So I, uh, we hear these names like the Vulture and the Rap, uh, and uh, and we go, "Who are these guys? Where are they coming from?" But uh, insiders know that that these are the guys who get scoops. Um, and although we may have never heard of them, and they've certainly never really reported on Star Wars in the past. Uh, they've reported on other stuff and they've been found to be fairly reputable sources. Now, I have my own personal issues with it. I don't I don't particularly like this school of journalism of somebody inside Lucasfilm essentially talked when they weren't supposed to talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, what ended up happening was somebody inside Lucasfilm said something to somebody that they know. That person went to the rap. And uh, and the rap ran it as a story. Uh, it, this is like this is a hair width away from the sort of thing that TMZ does, in my opinion. Where you know TMZ, the only thing that they do different is that they harass people into getting that kind of information, information that that companies aren't ready to reveal yet, or that stars aren't ready to reveal yet, mm-hmm. um, or don't want to be revealed. You know, I. Lucasfilm was in talks with J.J. Abrams, obviously. They were probably in talks with him from very early on in January. But as stuff started to heat up, people probably noticed, oh, J.J.'s on the premises again. Oh, he's back again this week. And, you know, somebody decided that they would let that information slip and uh, possibly even had more information than that and decided to let it let the cat out of the bag. Um, I, I, I prefer waiting for an official announcement and then going from that. Um, Because the thing is, is that our involvement before the the ink has dried can affect what will happen. Mm -hmm. And, and, I mean, you can't get around it. It's just kind of the way of the world. But at the same time, you know, like, we we need to back off and let let the things that are going to happen happen. When Lucasfilm is ready to reveal stuff to us they will you know they're not in the business of hiding information from us in order to like it's not 
they're not like Monsanto and trying to you know stop us from knowing what goes into our food or something like that. They're making movies that they want to and TV shows that they want us to enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's just like Dave Filoni doesn't give us information about the Clone Wars until they're ready to reveal it. And uh, every once in a while, they'll say something and. And, you know, oh, this is not what's going to happen. And then a couple weeks later, something will come out and it's like, well, that is what's happening. Um, a lot of the times that's because, you know, they're, they're, they're essentially trying to play against that game. And that's the part of it I think that I don't like is that when journalism, and I use my quote fingers on that one, as Steve would say, dink, dink. Huh. I, I, when journalism sort of goes into that area of... of trying to get scoops and trying to dig for stories i think that they particularly in the motion picture industry and in filmmaking they tend to fight back with misdirection and and essentially like lies right i they'll just tell you untruths and and uh, just to throw you off the trail and and i i feel like that's unfair to both the journalists it's unfair to the fans it's unfair but it's unfair to the to these companies that are trying to produce these films in the first place i mean you don't want people to ruin the ending of your movie i mean imagine if people uh, were walking around blabbing the ending of the sixth cent since before that movie came out it wouldn't have been a success the way that it was mm-hmm. right so like there's a certain amount of respect you, you just kind of you back off you let them do their business and when they're ready to let us know that's when that's when it can come out and yes like you know it, it's it's well within a journalist's right to to be saying constantly to Lucasfilm, when are you going to tell us? When are you going to tell us? When are you going to tell us? But when they start sending people in to try and dig up information covertly, I don't know. That's when it starts to cross a line for me, and that's maybe that's just my uh, my yeah. the Jedi mm-hmm. in me, the uh, mm-hmm. the light side, and I just I'm sort of you know like let's let's be honest, let's let it be a yeah. level playing field for everybody, right? But. I also don't like it when they get our hopes up with stuff, and uh, and then it turns out to not be true. I mean, like a Zack Snyder thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. We we don't need. There's enough confusion and enough secrecy swirling around all of this episode seven stuff. We don't need people jumping to to conclusions left, right, and center. So. As much as, you know, when you get the scoop, it's 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 exciting and you want to get out there and you want to be the first with news and that's what the news, 24-hour news cycle is sort of uh, uh, perpetuated on. Um, I, I don't know. There's just, there's a, there's a certain, uh, I, I guess, old school mentality of, you know, it's, it's not whether or not you, you do run with it it's whether you should run with it you know i and and i feel like that integrity is gone and it's a that's an integrity that i try and keep at clonewarspodcast.com tim knows that uh we don't run rumors and speculation unless it's an editorial piece if we want to if we want to talk about rumors and speculation if we want to have a conversation with you guys about it with the listeners uh then that's one thing but uh, but we don't report rumors and speculation is news which i guess is is the core of it that's the root i i just i hate that because the Zack snyder thing one place says 
we have reason to believe that XYZ and everybody else picks it up and reports it as news. It's not news until it's confirmed. And mm. it wasn't confirmed. And later that day, Zack Snyder's rep came out and said, not happening. Yeah. Not even a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, every once in a while you're like, well, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, now look at J.J. Abrams. He said back in November, not doing yeah. it, not going to happen. Right. Uh, he was the first one to come out and say it won't be me. I uh, I believe he's the one who said that he wanted to enjoy it. He wanted to go to that movie, right? Not yes. make it, right? And you yeah. kind of you lose that when you're the one making the movie, so uh, you never get to enjoy it. I, uh, but but now here we are, and he is in fact, he's the one. He's he's doing the, uh, yeah. He's doing the whole thing. So so you know like it. it it, but if we weren't digging, if we weren't harassing people, sort of letting people reveal to us uh, the the things that are going on, you know, I, I think that we have a lot less of these like sort of high hopes and then have them dashed. But right. but maybe well, that's the, just me. Well, that's why I was I was kind of surprised by this news because, like you said, he said <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm I'm not in it. You know, I got Star Trek. I'm, you know, I want to be a fan just like everybody else. And so this was kind of a shock to me. But, hey, I'm, I'm all for it. This guy's, um, like I said, I love his TV stuff. I've, his movies yeah. have been good. Yeah. Uh, and another guy that comes with him, it seems like. Although I want to see Williams get off of the job and if he wants to take it, take it. But he does work a lot with, and you said this before, Michael Giacchino. Yeah. Uh, or Giacchino, how do you say that? Is that, is that how you say his name? Uh, I, I, think, I think it's Giacchino. Giacchino, yeah. I think that's, yeah. I think yeah. that's right. So he does a lot of work with J.J. Abrams. So if you yeah. don't get Williams, which I hope they do, you got a great guy like him falling. Uh, well, and, and 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 Michael Giacchino, having done the Star Tours soundtrack for yeah. Star Tours, uh, I, well, what did they call it? The Journey Continues or The Adventure Continues? The mm-hmm. the, the reboot, essentially, like the refurbishment of 2. Star 20. Tours. Yeah, yeah uh, he, did, he did all of that score. Um, now, in saying that, he didn't write a lot of new score. He wrote new arrangements using John Williams' existing score. Um, and that, that's something that you have to do for Star Tours. Um, for a new movie, you have to write a new score, right? I mean, you have to have new, new themes and new, new uh, pieces of, of music. But at the same time, you want to keep it familiar and you want to go back to the those old notes and uh and and he has proven himself as uh he's i feel that he is the new john williams i mean in Mm. in 10 15 years we're gonna look back and we're gonna go you know look at all these great movies that jj abrams made and that you know not just jj abrams directed but that he produced and all this tv series and all these other things and then you go, well, what, what's what's one of the things that makes all those pieces of art so strong? And you look and you go, well, it's a lot of them, it's the soundtrack. I mean, that's what we do. We look back at Lucasfilm, and one of the things we look back at is that soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, Lucasfilm, as a company, has its own soundtrack. You, you can go back to Indiana Jones and, uh, and Star Wars, and then you look at everything that Amblin and Steven Spielberg have done with Jurassic Park and, uh, and, and E.T. and all these different things. Uh, and John Williams is responsible for all that. And, uh, and, and Michael Giacchino, he's, he's doing the same thing today. 
uh, with newer styles of music. And, and John Williams has his signatures, you know, like that, the big booming trumpets and, and, uh, and just sort of that, Mm -hmm. that old school Fox fanfare sort of sound to it. Right. And he puts that into all of the scores that he does, uh, or at least most of the scores, the scores that he's well known for. Uh, he puts that in there and, uh, and that's, that was, was a part of that time of filmmaking. But if you look at sort of now, and uh, and and the sort of score that you get in a movie now, there are few people out there of this sort of this next generation doing as great a job as Michael Giacchino is, uh, and sort of creating these these indelible pieces of music. And it 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 divides some people. I mean, the the Star Trek soundtrack from two thousand nine. Uh, I personally love it. I think it's one of the best movie soundtracks in recent years. Um, but there's there's some people who didn't like it because they wanted more classic Star Trek music, right? Um, but you know, he also did John Carter. He did he did the the he does all the score for Fringe, mm-hmm. for Lost, for all sorts of different things, and uh, and I think that he can come in and he can do just as good a job as John Williams. I think I think it's it's. No, I, I mean no disrespect to John Williams, and I I regard him in the highest regard, just like George <clears throat> Lucas and Ralph yeah. McQuarrie and all the people who are really responsible for for that original trilogy being what it is. But you know, like every every generation has its great artists, and uh, just like George and Steven Spielberg are are the artists of that generation jj abrams is is one of the artists of this generation and uh and and michael giacchino is is right there with him side by side i mean it's the exact same relationship mm-hmm. that that george and steven have with with john williams so i i would almost be disappointed if he didn't get the opportunity mm-hmm. uh if the if the torch wasn't passed at this point because you know, I think it's uh, I, I think it's about time. But I think it's a strong possibility. Me. Like I said, with he does a lot of work with J.J. Abrams, so I think it's it's a bigger probability than uh, than ever now. So that's good, though. I'm good. I'm glad J.J. Abrams. I'm I'm all yeah. for it. I'm I'm uh, very excited. Happy about that. So it's, now it's good now stuff. we can start worrying about casting and plot yeah. and. Yeah. New ship designs and lightsabers and Jedi temples and <laughs> oh god, they're getting spoiled and all that too. Yes, yeah. let's see if the and us get the help and us one. thinking that we know what's going to happen and having the whole plot mapped out and then going to the movie and finding out that we could not have been more wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm excited. This is yeah. this is it's going to be a ride. Well, I'll just say one last thing, and then we'll, yep. we'll, we'll head on. Um, go, I saw this on Twitter. Somebody posted a link to a TED Talk that J.J. Mm-hmm. Abrams did way back in 2007, and he talks about um, this mystery, this mystery box. And it's about a 20-minute video. you find it at mm-hmm. TED.com. Just search J.J. Abrams. And, and, the, and the Twitter post said something like, hey, if you, don't, if you have any uh, reservations about J.J. Abrams doing a Star Wars movie, watch this thing. I did. I thought, wow. Um, it was a great TED talk. You know, he talked about some things about mm-hmm. um, how what he learned from Spielberg and, and yeah. mystery and the mystery in it, and we saw that a lot in Super Eight. So um, check that out. I think you'll you'll be uh, 
happy of uh, if you're not already. You'll yeah. be uh, glad that yeah. he's on it. So. Awesome. Uh, that's it, huh? We got to get to a special guest, though. Yeah, we've got some special guests uh, stopping by, so we are going to cut to that that interview, uh, and uh, and then we'll be back for the recap. So, uh, enjoy. Hey there, Frontlines listeners. We're joined uh, special guests, uh, Jimmy Mack and Jason Swank from Rebel Force Radio. Hey, uh, to to tell us all about their their new home, their new uh, their new adventure. Uh, so so you guys you guys have this new thing, Rebel Force Radio. It's kind of a change from where people are used to hearing you. Uh, what's what's all what's that all about? <laughs> what's that all about? Yeah. What's going on so, with that? it's it's about uh uh growing up and and uh finding your own death star and blowing that sucker up and that's what we're trying to do with rebel force radio jason and myself after uh years of hosting the force cast we've decided we wanted to take our star wars podcasting and go independent with it so we can expose ourselves to the largest possible audience of star wars fans that are out there yeah we just found too that there's uh, a difference in running a website and running a blog mm-hmm. or a news site than there is uh, doing a podcast as you guys know it's a different discipline it's a different medium mm-hmm. uh and so we wanted to uh, really just kind of focus in on that not having to be distracted by uh, by other things i think you guys also said um i don't know if i read it somewhere i heard it from you guys that you said that you know everything that's going to come from rebel force radio is from either you jason or jimmy um, I guess which wasn't necessarily the case with um, the force cast. Is is that right? Yeah, that's we right. Were... We had a we were you know two of uh, of a much larger team. It encompassed uh, multiple websites. We had the force.net, rebelscum.com, and so the the emails would tend to get you know dumped into a uh, kind of a hive, and mm. you know I mean for the most part it was us, but we just felt that you know any email that was addressed to Jimmy to me. Uh, should you know come directly to us and be answered by us? Yeah, yeah. There were there were a lot of emails uh, addressed specifically to us, and um, it was just an uncomfortable feeling thinking that there were several other eyes gazing upon those emails. Mm. Same thing with the social networking. No one was really yeah. sure as they would look at our posts or our tweets or whatever who those posts or tweets were coming from. Sometimes even Jason and myself had no idea where those posts or tweets were coming. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I I I know that I would feel I you know with 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 sort of the the front lines identities that we've got out all over the place all that social media stuff. I would be a little bit disconcerted if I saw posts and I was like what's that about? You know, like direct communication right. sort of stuff. Um well, of course, you become so personally attached to yeah. what you yeah. And uh, Jason and myself, we eat, drink, breathe, sleep, Star Wars podcasting. Yeah. And so we wanted to make sure that the connection to our listening audience was completely unfettered, completely unbroken. It was a, just a solid chain between 
Jason and myself and everyone who listens to us on an iPod or their laptop computers or wherever. So that's what I think is important is because you have that connection with your audience and it's a personal connection. And I think that when there's correspondence going on behind the scenes, it should remain personal. And while the crew over at TFN Rebel Scum are incredibly talented and perfectly capable of handling the job of communicating Star Wars news and events and commentary and things of that nature we find that it's just best for us as far as it comes to podcasting and maintaining that personal one-on-one -on -one relationship that it's important that we remain don't don't get mad at me for saying this but mm -hmm. on the front lines so to speak whoa yeah. whoa whoa wait a second <laughs> front lines tm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't quite have the trademark yet, but I'm looking into it. So, yeah. uh, no, I, I, you know, I, I love it every time that I hear front lines, like every, anytime anybody uses that phrase, they use it a lot on, on the Clone Wars, I uh, sort of when they're talking about stuff like Dave will use it. And, um, I think in, in a, in one of the recent behind the scenes videos, I think Sam Witwer might've used it. And it's like, every time somebody uses it, that's not us. I'm like, Oh, maybe that's a secret mention about us. And isn't, that's just... that, isn't, that, isn't that funny how those words, you know, start to jump out at you. I know yeah. that, you know, there's a lot of dialogue and key moments from the, from the films. And every time I go back and watch them, when I hear those lines, you know, they just, they scream at me, you yeah. know, I have good news, you know, it jumps right out at me, because <laughs> yeah. I hear it every, every week, yeah, yeah, in a completely different context, and yeah, it is Absolutely. funny. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I know, I know that, great, that it's a, a, a great show on PBS called Frontline, and it was, <laughs> yes. uh, did you guys remember that show? Yes. It was, I, uh, I, it was yeah. um, a documentary series, yeah. and it had just some incredible footage from the history of war and uh yeah i remember that show real well <laughs> yeah i think you know what i would i would bet that that's where the germ of the idea came from is just from having that sort of rolling around in the back of my head in my oh. subconscious and then i was like you know sort of put it put it together actually you know who helped me come up with it uh, and and sort of get started was uh steve glosson oh big Out Loud. yeah big honk all right i uh, it, it was really it was him and uh and you guys that that really motivated me into getting into podcasting in the first place. I mean, when I first heard about podcasts, sort of downloaded iTunes for my iPod and was just listening to some stuff at work, listening to music, and then I sort of switched over to the to the iTunes store and saw this podcast thing, and I'd sort of heard the phrase and and uh, I looked at it and I was like, oh, it's kind of like talk radio stuff and 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 all these sorts of things. So the first thing that I put in. The first thing was Star Wars, right? Like that's just like everybody. Right. And and at the time, I mean, we're talking we're talking seven or eight years ago. Uh, and at the time, you guys were it. Like the, it was it was like you guys, and maybe there was a couple other podcasts out there. Yeah. But uh, but but the Forcecast was really you know like the big one, sort of the shining beacon. And uh, now, I mean, you can't throw a rock without hitting somebody who's got a Star Wars podcast. But <laughs> that's true. Uh, especially at Star Wars Celebration. I mean, we had we had an entire posse of people with us hanging out that all had their own Star Wars podcast, which is which is a really cool sort of sub culture of of the of the overall Star Wars culture. But but I just I can remember back back a few years ago listening to podcasts and it was you guys and Starkville House of L which is the the Smallville podcast that Steve was on mm -hmm. and as well as Geek Out Loud and just sort of listening to you guys 
all do your thing and, and have this forum on the internet to, to as Steve puts it, geek out and, and get out there and, and, you know, just share your enthusiasm. Uh, not in an ironic way or not in a, in, in a way that, that, you know, anybody's going to cut you down for or anything like that. Like, it's just this free, open expression of love Star Wars or just geek culture in general. And I... I was just like, man, I gotta do that, and I kept waiting. And then when Clone Wars came out, I was like, that's my, that's my ticket. I'll, I'll, I'll do something about the Clone Wars. That's and you're uh, in. yeah, and and I really modeled a lot of what we do at Frontlines around what you guys did on on the Forcecast and now on Rebel Force Radio. So, well, so. you know, it's so nice when you find that avenue that you can really and naturally express yourself as a fan. And I consider mm-hmm. myself lucky to have found podcasting. Audio production is something that I love to do. It's something I do not only as a hobby, but as a living. And I've uh, been doing radio for over 20 years. And I never knew much about building websites or building TK armor or anything like that. <laughs> and it seemed like that those were the prime ways to express yourself as a fan. You know, sure, people wrote fanfic, and there was active um, active stuff going on, on on forums and everything like that. And I would go to forums but be more of a lur- lurker than a contributor. But I always wanted to do something to express my fandom and give something back to the Star Wars fan community. And so when I discovered podcasting, I was like, yes, this is my thing. This is what I've been waiting for. Now I, this, I, can, I can speak this language. I can do this. This is a way I can express myself as a Star Wars fan and not only express my love for it, but also my opinions about it and my sense of humor about it and my just overall love for all things Star Wars and be able to, in the meantime, which is, th- this is something I underestimated, being able to build a community of people around you mm-hmm. that also share that same love. It's almost like you guys are speaking on the same wavelength. And people look look around and they find a lot of Star Wars podcasts and they find the one that they can connect with. That's what takes you back to that personal connection is what I was mm-hmm. talking about before. And when you can make that and have that natural avenue to express yourself as a fan, then, you know, you're, you're sitting on a pile of gold. Finally, you have your outlet, and that's what I think is so important, whether you're cosplaying or writing fi- fanfic or running a website or writing a blog or even just communicating with people via Facebook and Twitter. Podcasting fits into all that. It's, it's mm-hmm. a big, like, pie of fandom. And podcasting has been great because it's, it's grown from just a little sliver slice of that pie to something a little bit more substantial. And I expect it to keep growing as we ramp up toward Star Wars Episode Seven. Yeah. I'll just say one more thing, too, about that, uh, Mike. Uh, I was going to ask uh, Jason this. You guys got to feel sort of like, um, well, you guys are like the godfathers of, of Star Wars podcasts. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Not that you guys are old or anything. Um, <laughs> you're not. You're like we're criminals. No, the Godfathers, man. I mean, I yeah, mean, like right. you hear when you watch VH1 and 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 the the best rockers of all time. You know, they always say, you know, everything that you hear now is influenced by the Beatles. Well, I think podcasting <laughs> is the same way. You know, it's like everything you hear now is indirectly or directly coming from you guys that started it years and years ago. And everybody's like, yeah, I can, I want to talk about Star Wars and. And I think, Mike, you talked about this earlier about uh, the new forum is podcasting. I mean, 
You got Clone Wars actors, directors, Dave Filoni's on your show. I mean, everybody is going to podcasts now instead of maybe a CNN or something like that. You know what I mean? The new news is podcasting now. And well, it's a great way for, you yeah. know, for these, these film companies and these actors or writers or behind the scenes players, whoever, to directly communicate with their core, core. audience. Right, right. And while it's important to go out to those mainstream outlets and let the worldwide audience know what you have going on, it's also important to maintain your core audience and always make sure that they're satisfied. And that's something that Lucasfilm and the cast and crew from the Clone Wars and the Star Wars films, they all appreciate that. And that's why they like to look for avenues like Rebel Force Radio to come on and talk about things that they're involved in and behind the scenes stories or just let their personality shine because that's how you make a connection with your fan base right. is not just by hiding behind a character but also letting your own character come out and the the cast of the Clone Wars especially is full, a cast full of characters and great personality and really wonderful people so oh, yeah. we're lucky to have that pipeline to them and be able to to expose them to a larger audience of their core fans well i think a lot of it was just it was the right time and the in the right place because when you look at the clone wars actors there's a, there's a number of them that have experience in radio they're used to communicating uh with their voices mm -hmm. and so i think podcasting became a very natural outlet for them and it was sort of a a safe outlet for them and you know uh, from my point of view i don't have the professional radio experience that that, that jimmy has but i i'm sort of a, a student of talk radio in the sense that i've been listening to talk radio since i was a little kid mm -hmm. i didn't listen to a lot of music uh uh, stations growing up. I listened to talk radio and I always thought, you know, if the political junkies can have their shows, if the sports fanatics can have their show, why can't Star Wars fans have a legitimate talk show, uh, you know, to uh, communicate about their fandom and what they love? And so yeah. I think I look at Star Wars fans or, the, or Star Trek fans or Lord of the Rings fans or fan of anything, just like you look at the, the crazy guys out in the middle of winter with their chest painted, you know, with their favorite sports team colors or whatever. You know, it's just a different way of expressing yourself. And so if those guys can have their outlets, why can't Star Wars fans? And so that was always sort of the that was always sort of the, the bar that I was trying to, to reach with the show. And when Jimmy came on, he brought that professional edge to where we have what we have is essentially a show that could stand on its own, whether it's on the Internet or on the radio, which we do have an outlet mm. for that in Chicago now. Yeah, I almost thought you were going to say uh, Twilight in there, but you didn't. So, Twilight sure. too. Whoa, whoa! Twilight. Did you see that latest one? Something else. Right. <laughs> no, but you know what I meant by the the Godfather thing was just it's got to make you kind of smile a little bit knowing that because I've noticed you guys have been on a few other um, smaller podcasts and uh, it's probably got to make you smile a little bit. You know, like wow, we created this huge empire of of and we've inspired a lot of people to to get out there and, and let their voices be heard. So it's got to make you feel a little good for that too, right? It's nice yeah, to see that. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, influence is, you know, you can never truly divorce yourself from your influences. And like I said, I had a lot of influences in talk radio, but, you know, the guy that has been out there is probably the the godfather of podcasting period is a guy by the name of Leo Laporte oh, yeah. of this mm -hmm. in tech network Twink. and yeah, yeah. in the same ways as you guys kind of look maybe to to us and what we did at the forecast as sort of a uh, a measurement of of success uh, I've looked at Leo and what he's been doing I mean that's a guy that has mm -hmm. really I mean again like Jimmy 
radio professional, but realizing that there's something very, very special and unique about podcasting. And so uh, he's been a, big, a great big influence on, on you know, what we've been trying to do as well. Mm-hmm. And my prime influences have come through my personal career where I've been able to work with a lot of my heroes in Chicago radio. And uh, that's still happening to this day. But outside of that, I have heroes at Lucasfilm, guys like Ben Burt, people who never threw ideas away, people who kept every recording they ever made and kept track of those recordings. That, to me, has always been something very important as an audio producer. But as far as like the, the godfather of, of podcasting, you know, me and Jason, we could never just take credit for that ourselves because we developed, the show developed, a core audience of very loyal and devoted listeners and they were just along for the party and they helped get the word out and they helped sustain a a certain amount of energy especially when we were building up the show in the early days Mm -hmm. and gave us the support we needed so it was like one hand washing the other and it was just really fun to watch all that grow and now with rebel force radio we're watching it grow all over again this has been a breath of fresh air a fresh start a new year a new era in star wars and a fresh start for star wars podcasting with rebel force radio so we're real excited to watch that whole community build up and blossom again. And I, I'm happy to say that it's, it's been happening very, very quickly, much, much more quickly than I ever thought it would. And um, you guys have to know what that's all about because you see a community building around front lines too. And you feed off of their energy and then you give it back to them. It's this, it's a symbiont cycle. You, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun to watch that whole thing grow and to offer people support who are offering you support. That's, mm-hmm. it just, once those dominoes start falling, you just feel like you're on this unstoppable freight train. Yeah. yeah, well, I, I think there's a really great thing going on in the community, and it's something that I noticed when we were all at Star Wars Celebration this past summer. And uh, where where I think at one point in time people were looking at it because there was, you know, there was a sort of there was this podcast over here and this podcast over here and this podcast over here. And and I think a few years ago, maybe when, when we started Frontlines, uh, there was a bit of a, a, an attitude that you had to pick your podcasts. Right, because it was this new thing. So, every, like you know, like, just like when people uh, play video games, and it's like, oh, I have a PlayStation, so I'm a PlayStation guy. I have an Xbox, so I'm an Xbox guy. And it felt like there was a little bit of a division in in the community and in the fan bases. And it was like, well, some people are force cast listeners, and some people are are listeners to this podcast, and some people are listeners to this podcast. But now, there's so many podcasts that I think that you can't. You can't make like you can't you can't decide that you're just going to listen to one podcast because you do yourself a disservice now. So, so the community has really grown together, and the podcasters have sort of. I think that we've all sort of developed a little bit more rapport around that, and and the intermingling is happening. So when one podcast is doing well, other podcasts do well by association uh, because you know you listen to one awesome Star Wars podcast. And when that's done, you're like, well, they won't have another episode out until next week, but I have a whole six days in between now and then, and I need another Star Wars podcast. <laughs> so people will jump on, and they'll listen to the Star Wars Report, or they'll listen to the Wampas Lair, or they'll listen to Sarlacc Pit. And and uh, and it's just been this really great thing where where I think everybody, you said the, the symbiont cycle, uh, the, the Obi-Wan Kenobi's wise, wise words. Uh, and and it is, we are all kind of connected, and as the the fervor builds for episode seven, 
I think that's only going to get bigger and bigger. I mean, I've noticed download numbers have just, like, they just started going through the roof in November. Like, it, people are so excited, and they want Star Wars stuff so badly. It's it, We are in possibly the best time yeah. to, to be in the Star Wars community. Because one thing that I said to Steve when I was on Geek Out Loud back in November, right after the, the initial announcement of the Disney Lucasfilm, uh, acquisition is that we didn't have this before when it, when a movie was coming out really right like like uh, I think you guys might have been around when episode three was coming out right just after just after just so after. yeah so mm-hmm. this whole like pre-production speculation thing I uh, it's like when the with the prequels we had the internet for the first time. And, and new Star Wars movies were coming out. So it was a whole different ball game. And now the community is so different because of social networking and Facebook and Twitter. And and we're, we're connected with the actual people who are making Star Wars. I mean, you can you can shoot James Arnold Taylor at Twitter, like a tweet, any any day of the week. And, and he'll, he'll respond to you, you know, if, yeah. if he's around. So... Like, we're connected with these people in a way that we never have been before, and we're connected as fans in a way that we never have been before. And that just, I'm so excited about that. And you guys, uh, with with the awesome new logo and the awesome new identity that goes that goes with all the, the, the Rebel Force Radio stuff and your guys' move, uh, it's just, it feels like a lot of the community is sort of shedding its skin and getting ready for a new sort of a new era of Star Wars. You know, we had the we had the original, like when the movies came out, episode four, five, and six, and then there were the dark times that we all talk about. And then there was the special edition and that whole era through to the prequels up until now. And uh, and now it's it's a totally new era. So I think your guys' move is very um well timed. It's very well timed. Well, I, I, yeah. I like the way you I like the way you kind of laid that out where you if you look at the original trilogy and it was covered by traditional media and magazines and newspapers and fanzines and all of that and then you had the prequel trilogy and that was really uh, goosed by the internet and fan sites and I like to think that this new trilogy is I think it's going to be kind of ushered in by the era of social media and podcasting and you know new media so I think it's we're going to be the ones telling this story. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, yeah. and it's going to be hard to stay spoiler free too. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> with, with yeah, social media. I, yeah, it's going to be really hard. It's going to yeah. be really hard, and I, that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. How are we going to remain spoiler free? Because I was strictly spoiler free for the prequels. Mm-hmm. Strictly, by the time Revenge of the Sith rolled around, I found I was gaining more information before actually going to the theater to see that one just because I sort of felt like I already knew what was going to happen in that episode anyway but eps 1 and 2 I completely avoided all spoilers it all goes back to me to 1980 and Empire Strikes Back and I bought the novelization with my you know lawn mowing money or whatever I had at the uh, at the Walden books and I read that paperback pretty much from back to front because I had heard the rumors that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father so I had to find out for myself so I started in the back of the book and pretty much read <laughs> up to the front 
And uh, and just one more page. I'm only going to read one more page. Jeez. <laughs> you know, the last thing I read, I think, was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But um, but sitting in that theater, and then about a week before it was in the theaters, I was at a Crown Books, and I remember grabbing the Empire Strikes Back storybook and flipping through it, actually seeing those still photos from the set for the very first time ever. And then going into the theater a week later, I stood out in line on opening day with my brother and uh, our friends, two other brothers, Eric and Lars Anderson. And we stood outside that theater for about three hours, which was unheard of at the time. <laughs> and got in there, got some good seats, and sat through and watched Empire Strikes Back all the way through. And I remember walking out of there saying to myself, man, you knew too much going in. You mm. really yeah. did. Yeah. The only thing that really surprised me was when Luke's and got cut off because in the novel it didn't really say Vader slices off Luke's hand it just makes it seem more like he got cut on the arm at least that's how I perceived it back then I haven't mm. read the novelization in years and years but mm -hmm. the one thing that surprised me the most everything else was spoiled so I said you know what I'm not gonna let that happen for uh, Return of the Jedi and uh, this kid in our neighborhood Matt Dwyer told me Jabba kills Leia the day the film opened, I could have strangled <laughs> that kid myself with that. Thing. So, uh, but but still, I, I went into Jedi relatively spoiler-free as well, and then uh, went into high school after that, and didn't think about Star Wars for a number of years until right. I started getting back into it in the late '80s, when all those Kenner action figures were being sold for like 50 cents a piece on, you know, with with the coins on them and everything, and I started buying up as much as I could during the dark times. So coming into the prequel era, I said, no spoilers. Yeah. But now, being involved in Star Wars online, it's almost impossible to avoid spoilers. Right. So how are we going to do it? What are we going to do? I mean, I, I, I assume I will be a little spoiled mm -hmm. going into it, but I don't want to be 100% spoiled. Even in the name of Star Wars journalism, I will not let myself get spoiled. Yeah. Well, I think it's important that we kind of we come to some sort of agreement about what a spoiler is because you know you have some folks mm -hmm. out there that just you know casting rumors are spoilers. Right. Yeah. Some and you know some of it just seems so basic. I think major plot points. But I, I will say this: I I have a feeling that um, between Disney and Lucasfilm, you've got these two cultures colliding. Uh, I have I have a feeling that it, spoilers are going to be very hard to come by as far as major plot points. Mm -hmm. I mean, J.J. Abrams is notorious, notorious and has been for the last two Star Trek movies of very little getting out, right. very little getting out. I mean, it's a big deal when you get a photo leak of, yeah. the, of the actors in costume, let alone uh, plot points. So yeah. I think that <laughs> we're going to have our work cut out for us. Yeah, That's absolutely, fine. absolutely. Yeah. It, it it's uh it's gonna be a, a very different scenario because we're not like with the prequels. I think, like you were saying, Jimmy, especially with episode three, kind of knew what was coming. But with these new ones, seven, eight, nine, uncharted, right? Like, right, like right. this is in fact, it's gonna rewrite history in some fans' eyes. So, so it's a it's it's a very exciting time to be a fan. Uh, it's it's a very exciting time to be a podcast listener. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I'm just, I mean, we still have Clone Wars, so let's just focus on that for now. I think that's the best that we can do. Just hey. focus on Clone Wars. Let's direct all of our efforts towards that. And before we know it, it's going to be 2015 and we're going to be lined up at the movie theaters, ready to enjoy a new Star Wars movie. Um, which is again, something completely different, you know, normally right. we had to wait. It's this dearth of information, but 
Uh, but we've got the Clone Wars and we'll have detours and we've got all this great stuff in between. Uh, so Star Wars never ends now. It doesn't stop. Like, it's not, it's not, oh, there's a movie and now wait three years. It's just, you know, we have to, sometimes we get upset when we have to wait a week for Star Wars, for new Star Wars <laughs> stories. So, so it's a, it's a like completely different environment. Yeah. But. yeah. You know who says Star Wars never ends all the time? My wife, Wendy. <laughs> Yeah, I think she she'd uh, she'd get along well with my wife Crystal. They'd, uh, they they could both yeah. sort of Star look at us. And, yeah. yeah, when yeah. when's it gonna stop? But I I where can everybody I uh, find you guys at Rebel Force Radio? Right now, the best thing to do to communicate with us uh, outside of the shows is to uh, on Facebook. We're at facebook.com/slash Rebel Force Radio. We have a website that's going to be launching here in the next few weeks, rebelforceradio.com. The email address is show at rebelforceradio.com. Jimmy and I are both on Twitter at Jimmy Mac Radio and at Jason Swank. So we're all over the place. If you can't find us, it's your problem. <laughs> in the Chicago yeah. area, we could be heard Sunday afternoons at 2 p.m. on 1530 a.m. WCKG. Sweet. And I just want to say, too, before you guys go, hey, thanks for uh, kind of inspiring everybody, inspiring Michael that got me involved. And then through getting me involved, I've gotten to do some amazing things in the Star Wars you know, realm. I got to go to the LDAC in, in the Presidio, which I'm only a couple hours away anyway. But I got to go down there. You know, George Lucas is standing right there. I'm kind of overhearing his conversation with Melody Hobson, you know, probably talking about their engagement. I didn't even realize back then. But, uh, no, I mean, it was through, through you guys and through Mike and then to me, I've gotten to do some great things in podcasting, meet great actors, interview some great actors in, in the Clone Wars and everything. So uh, I just want to say thanks for doing what you guys do. You're so welcome. Thank you. Yes, appreciate the kind words for sure. Mm-hmm. Mike, anything else before we let them go? No, uh, that's it. Uh, thank you guys so much for stopping by, and uh, don't be strangers. Anytime you want to come, I know you guys have you guys have your Clone Wars declassified, but uh, but if you ever want to jump over here and talk Clone Wars with us, uh, you're always welcome. We, we may just time. do that. Be careful what you wish for, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michael, Matt, continue doing such a good job on uh, Frontlines, yeah. and uh, thank you. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate you having us on the show. All right, guys. Awesome. Take care, guys. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. All right. Something is stirring in the underworld. Remember, there can only be two. You are our secret weapons. There are some citizens of the Republic who believe the Jedi Order is not what it used to be. We can help you reclaim Mandalore. Look at the time. Well, my work is done. You are a clone and a soldier in the Republic Army. I sense a deep anger in you. Everything that you fought so hard for will be destroyed. Anakin! Sometimes heroes fall despite their strength. Onderon is out. We are brothers. All right, folks, let's get into the recap. And this is, uh, we're talking about Shades of Reason. As the Death Watch camp on, 
At the Death Watch camp on Zanbar, Maul and his fellow conspirators examine a holographic map of Sundari, the capital city of Mandalore. Previsla has scouts recon the planet and establish target locations to strike at as part of their takeover. The Death Watch leader warns Maul that the people will reject their rule if they try to take Mandalore by force. Maul has accounted for this in his plans. He and his army of criminals will sow so, so chaos across the, the city, weakening the people's faith in Duchess Satine. Then Death Watch can sweep in as saviors and arrest the criminals, proving their strength and the ineffectiveness of Satine's pacifist ideas. So, Mike, we, we're coming into this. I keep forgetting now. This is the third act now. We're talking about the yes. third act in this thing. Uh, Maul's got this great plan. He's going to use the underworld gangsters to create chaos. Forcing yes. Satine to accept the help of Death Watch. And, of course, that plan is its a perfect plan. Uh, you know, they're going to be looked at as saviors, at least the Mandalores at this point. But, uh, you know, this is this is one of those episodes where I watched it and I was like, man, this is, this is making a run for, you know, really top five of yep. all of Clone Wars. Um, yeah. Especially the fight, which we'll talk about at the end, which is probably the best fight in clone wars i uh, was uh easily but uh, you're happy yeah yes absolutely i was thinking about it in watching this episode and uh and and so excited to see uh this coming week's episode everything that we expect to to get to witness um and uh, i i was really i was looking back on sorry on the uh, previous two arcs involving uh, Savage Opress and Darth Maul. <clears throat> and you can almost take that as uh, as its own trilogy now. Because mm-hmm. you've got, you have the, the Night Sister episodes, which I, was that three or four episodes? I think that was only three episodes, three. right? Right. Because yeah. that, was, that was during season three. Right. <clears throat> so we had those episodes. The Night Sister trilogy. Uh, which introduced Darth uh, sorry, Savage Opress and the idea that Darth Maul was still around, as well as the Night Sisters and uh, and really fleshed out Asajj Ventress. And then last season we came back in season four and we had uh, we had the the hit and miss, but at its peaks one of the like some of the best episodes of of season four, um, with the with the Darth Maul coming back and Asajj mm-hmm. sort of finding her her new place in the galaxy as as one and I mean like they've released it now as a movie um, that DVD I've heard is actually cut together so that it it all kind of takes place at once which is what I had said right I, I right, was kind of yeah. you know like it feels much more like this is all happening at once and they've separated it into episodes um, so now they've got that and now we'll have these four episodes. We'll have Revival, Eminence, Shades of Reason, and then uh, what's the one coming up this next? Lawless. Uh, uh, the Lawless, yeah. yeah. And uh, and it's it's really like this one of all of them, and of all of the Clone Wars to me, you can see it. You can see that this is a movie. You can see that it's got it's got sort of this four act structure to it that they've built into it by virtue of it being on the clone wars being a four-part story uh and each act has its own three three pieces to it but you can really see when you go from revival into 
uh, into Eminence last week and then into Shades of Reason this week, it flows so well. And, and that story just continues straight through with this very clear through line of Darth Maul's vengeance uh, and, and his plan, his, his overarching plan. And uh, it is so incredibly well put together so incredibly exciting Mm -hmm. and this fight scene is the best fight scene in the clone wars i put it on the level of the fight scenes from the movies i mean yeah it, it and and i posted on 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 the facebook group that this is the best lightsaber duel that we've seen yet you know so far so far oh yeah we'll, yeah we'll just have to wait for this friday to uh well <laughs> yeah. sorry saturday, saturday for you guys yeah i before we get to see you know if it'll if it'll hold on to that but um yeah i feel like they like we'll talk about it a little bit more when we get there but right, they right. they they had an opportunity to make up for maybe some lackluster mandalorians in the past oh yeah and yeah. uh and they definitely did i mean Boba Fett's Boba Fett and he'll always be Boba Fett and Jango Fett was pretty cool in, in Attack of the Clones but I think that both of them would have had a hard time competing with Pre Vizsla oh yeah because yeah. he is just like uh, and not just in the physical prowess or you know his martial abilities but also in uh, he's a leader he's part of a clan he has Death Watch at his back and uh, and that means something, mm-hmm. and that's something that Boba Fett and Django never really had. So, um, I mean, we'll see if it really does does Previsla any good. And, and you know, I think yeah. some people would say that it really didn't make a difference how many Mandalorians he had behind him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in the end, but but yeah, I mean, those who didn't like when the Mandalorians were initially introduced. And had a lot to say about it online. I think some of them, you know, you're never going to change their minds. You're never going to, uh, you're never going to convince them otherwise. But I think that a lot of them are probably, whether they'll admit it or not, I think they're eating crow right now. Yeah, they're pretty happy right now, I bet. Yeah, Yeah, because I tell you, if Mandalore wasn't established as a peaceful planet, this story wouldn't be happening. Right? Uh, Right. This. This to me feels like I mean George he did it again. He did it again. We were watching in season 2 and we were going, "Why? Why is he doing this? Mandalore is supposed to be warriors and it's supposed to be, you know, all the stuff from the Karen Travis books and we know what Mandalore is and you're telling us mm. that it's something different." Well, I think much like, you know, you you watch back through the prequels and then you watch the original trilogy and you see seeds that he sowed in the original trilogy that informed the prequels and the prequels that informed the original trilogy and i mean (laughs) george only knows what seeds he's put in that will come to fruition in the sequel trilogy i mean we don't even know we can't even imagine the genius that's going on there but the clone wars he he did it there too he's setting stuff up he because he's the one who sets up all of these dominoes. He may be getting Dave Filoni to do the the you know the backbreaking labor of putting the show out on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. but Dave will be the first one to admit that the ideas come from George. Yeah. 
Right. When when they go, okay, what are we going to do this season? George is the one who goes, well, we're going to go to Mandalore. And they go, oh, that's awesome, Mandalore. So we're going to see a, a whole bunch of Boba Fett. And he's going, oh, yeah, well, not so much. Right? And, and so three years ago, those seeds were planted for this storyline to come full circle, sort of. And, uh, and who knew when we first watched the Night Sister trilogy that that too would come to to a bit of a climax here. I mean, I, I think that we still have more to see from the Night Sisters and from Asajj. We know we have more to see from Asajj. Right. Yeah. But this this branch of that initial story, I uh, I think is coming to a head. I think it's it. This is quite the build up not to have some sort of resolution to it. I don't know that Maul is going to. I not make it out of this. To, that is to say that I, I think at this point maybe he will survive, mm-hmm. but I think there's also very good reason to believe that he won't. Right. Uh, yeah. But anyways, let's get on with this episode and we can talk about speculation later. So I'll continue okay. here. Because uh, okay. I, 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 just to mention, we're going to talk about Bo-Katan and I have, a, I have a pretty, remind me when we're at the end of the recap, how I think that's going to play out. Okay. Uh, Cause I think Bo-Katan's got big things in her future. Uh, as Bo-Katan and Pre Vizsla depart to make preparations, she exchanges private words of doubt and suspicion about this alliance with the Sith Lords. Vizsla insists that Maul and his criminal army are necessary for their plan to retake Mandalore, but he still plans to execute the Sith once their mission is accomplished. Savage shares similar words of doubt to his brother, he suspects Vizsla will betray them. Maul hardly seems concerned and is more focused on creating his criminal underworld that will allow him to rule without becoming a visible target to the Jedi. So um, we get the confirmation that Pre Vizsla's plan is to have, you know, he wants to be the ruler of Mandalore. And I, I don't know if I think I don't know if we talked about that last week, but that obviously is is the confirmation we were we were kind of looking for on that. And Maul explains why he is using Pre Vizsla, that he doesn't want to draw the attention of the Jedi. So I thought that was pretty pretty important there, that you yeah. know, he's still got a ways to go with his planning. He doesn't want the Jedi to know what's going on yet. So he's got to kind of keep this reined in a little bit. And, I, and again, yeah. I love Maul. I love what they did in the beginning. Um, half the time it's like I love watching him just – talk and, and manipulate as much as I love him at the end with the fight so uh, everything everything he's doing man I'm, I'm just digging it though uh, and I love it he says greed never fails to motivate and that was a direct quote from Maul during this during this scene too um, mm-hmm. let me uh, you want me to continue right? yeah go ahead uh, the gambit begins as the, at the shipping docks of Sundari black sun freighters unload cargo containers concealing pikes and black sun foot soldiers Led by Lom and Zeton Moj, uh, led by Lom and Zeton Moj, when Mandalorian police and customs officers investigate the suspicious containers, the gangsters burst out and take control of the docks. Zeton and his foot soldiers then attack the Peace Park, disrupting a tranquil day with gunfire and chaos. Lom and his pikes then lead an attack on the main banking center of Sundari. When guards emerge from the bank to stop them, Savage steps out from the shadows and easily dispatches the guards by deflecting their own blaster fire back at them with his double-bladed 
lightsaber. So we got the the invasion, right? The invasion with the pikes and the black sun and the chaos is going on. Um, you know, again, we didn't talk much about the pikes last week, but apparently this is a brand new uh, species for mm-hmm. for Star Wars. I didn't know that. Did you? No, but you know, uh, uh, coming straight from George. I mean, this is this was another one of his his plans, his ideas uh, coming mm-hmm. straight from his mind and uh, being realized in the Clone Wars. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, very interesting. There, the, If you go into the behind-the-scenes stuff from uh, last episode, mm-hmm. uh, you can see that, that they're intended to have, like, these uh, stains, spice stains, because they're, they're spice... Smugglers or whatever. Spice Deal- smugglers, dealers or dealers. Spice dealers, yeah. 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 Um, and they have, like, they're, they constantly use spice, so they have these these stains these brown stains around their fing- on their fingers and around their mouths mm-hmm. from from using spice so much and uh, and and so it's just this really cool underworld aspect and this really great design that uh, that as i recall comes from george like he he sort of he described them and then they created them uh, and uh, and that's just it's just this great fleshing out of of part of the star wars backstory that that uh, that we all know but didn't know you know mm-hmm. like it was it's just this one missing piece um where does the spice come from we know that there's spice mines on kessel mm-hmm. uh we know that han solo was smuggling spice for job of the hut but i uh, but this is sort of this other piece so now you can imagine that the pikes are involved in there somewhere right um, as the biggest right. drug smugglers in the galaxy. So I just, you know what? I was wondering where the huts were during this whole thing. Yeah, well, I guess, uh, you know, the huts, I guess, do all their work through bounty hunters. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, we had the pikes there. We had Black Sun. Um, everybody's doing some damage, though. But you're right, no, no huts. But I guess that's just the, they're not really... Uh, fighters, but you were just saying yeah. maybe just have their presence. There, well, where's their involvement? I, I yeah, you know, yeah. I think it may have been. I think it, well, part of it might be funding. I think I think you know the huts definitely are the ones with all the money in the Bank galaxy. Yeah. So I I I think that that was a big part of it, and I think that that the we heard about their hyperspace lanes, the hut hyperspace lanes. Mm-hmm. I I think either earlier in the season or in a previous season we heard about that being a big deal. Um, so, so I think that might be part of the involvement, part of the, the need for the huts to be involved. Uh, and I think that Darth Maul just has a lot of experience or knowledge of, so he decided to use them. And, and, and I, th- I would think that they're a good, I mean, if you're going to take over the crime world, you have to have oh, the huts, yeah. otherwise they're going Definitely. to oppose you at every turn right because the whatever action you you've got they they'll want to be a part of so yeah uh anyways i will continue here uh sorry uh word of these attacks spread quickly speaking from the balcony at the sundari royal palace duchess satine urges the troubled citizens to remain calm her speech is interrupted by the sudden arrival of pre vizsla and the death watch Vizsla criticizes Satine for her failure to protect Mandalore. He offers a solution to the crowd. Armed opposition against the criminals. Satine pleads for the people 
not to give in to fear, but the Death Watch argument is compelling. Mandalorians by the hundreds chant Vizsla's name and call for war. I am Pre Vizsla of Clan Vizsla. Death Watch is here to save you from these intergalactic gangsters that threaten our great city. This is a war, and we will win. Join me, and let us defend Mandalore against the criminals. We need action, not pacifism. Do not listen to him. His war will cause the end of Mandalore as we know it. We are under attack. There is no time for discussion. The name Mandalore should send fear into the hearts of these gangsters. Yeah, Mike, I thought it was uh, pretty pretty powerful there at the end there. You're chanting mm-hmm. war. I mean, that was it was pretty pretty wild. Uh, but I think the problem is here with Satine is she has no there's no she has no answer. You know, um, mm-hmm. she states that uh, Death Watch would would ruin Mandalore, but what other option does she have? I mean, her security force can do nothing, and uh, I think they've kind of been kind of skating on thin ice ever since. Uh, you know they lost Death Watch because anybody could have come in there and and kind of taken over. Uh, it seems like a relatively small band of these these Pikes and uh, uh, you know Black Sun that had come in and just they took over like that, no problem. So she really has no answer, uh, and she's kind of stuck between a hard and a, you know rock and a hard place, I guess. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know what I'm saying? So I don't know. What do you think about the this this scene here no option right well you know what i think and, and i'll talk about this this has to do with my bo katan thing okay I, yeah i think what you've got here are two very different ideologies you've got i uh, satine who is a pacifist and will accept nothing else but pa- pacifism and even has a hard time i think with law enforcement uh, mm. i think that she feels like like i uh, sort of uh, any kind of military presence, any kind of uh, government-enforced martial force is is against her ideology. And that, to me, is is a little bit too far in one direction, whereas you have Pre Vizsla, who is too far in the other direction. He's very uh, uh, bloodthirsty and warring and that sort of thing. So... You've got these two characters who are very, very opposed and the the Mandalorian people who are caught in between and have to make a choice one way or the other. And in this instance, they're going to go with with Vizsla, right? Because uh, not because he is the better option, but because Satine is giving them no other choice. Mm -hmm. And I think that as a leader, that's where she fails. Right. I, Mm -hmm. I think that they... Another good example of a pacifist state in the Star Wars galaxy is Alderaan. And I don't think Bail Organa or Princess Leia would... I mean, we know Princess Leia won't shy away from a fight if it's necessary. We know that Bail Organa had a lot to do with the Rebel Alliance and with forming it. Mm-hmm. Although Alderaan may have been a peaceful planet, they weren't beyond using those resources to wage war for the greater good because it had to be done 
Uh, and I think that Satine is. I think that she holds herself above that. And that's that's her downfall. And I think, to be perfectly honest, because uh, I don't think she's going to make it out of these these episodes. I don't think she's going to make it out of, out of the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's going to be that will be her downfall. That's going to be what causes her eventual right. death is is those decisions that she made. Mm-hmm. Had she been a little bit more flexible and a little bit more willing to to see reason for for having a, a stronger military force for Death Watch being an incorporated part of the government um, and a part of their society, they wouldn't have been open to this attack. So, you know what? What are you gonna do? You know, you yeah. live in a dangerous galaxy. That's you gotta what have, happens. you gotta <laughs> have something. You know, but yeah, yeah, definitely. But we'll, we'll uh, have to wait and see. Yeah, uh, at Maul's command, Death Watch begins cleaning up the city of criminal interlopers, armored Mandalorian warriors, reclaiming the shipping docks from the Pike and Death Watch foot soldiers. Bo-Katan and her night owls capture the criminals at the Peace Park, and the citizens declare them saviors. Vizsla himself defeats Savage in a staged lightsaber duel outside the bank, making the Death Watch leader appear victorious and heroic. In the palace throne room, Satine sadly comes to realize that Vizsla has swayed the will of her people. Death Watch guards rush into the room, but Satine orders her guards to lower their weapons. Vizsla revels in his victory and announces the return of Mandalore's warrior past. And... You know, this is all the staged fight stuff going on. Death Watch comes into the rescue, Mike, and, and they're doing all the right things. You know, they're saving the children. You know, and they're not using any lethal force. And I don't know if you caught that. Everything they did was uh, either out of the eyes of the people or they did it in a way that was kind of staged. You know, a little WWE stuff going on here. Uh, and they have the people believing, Mike. They have the people believing that, wow, you know, we were wrong about Death Watch. Uh, they came in and saved us. So the the ruse is working, man. It's working exactly how Darth Maul planned it. So yes, um, go ahead. Uh, in the main square of the palace, Bo-Katan addresses the gathered citizens. She stands before the shackled form of Zeton, Moj, Lom, and Savage, and proclaims a Death Watch victory over the criminal invasion. She presents Pre Vizsla as the new Prime Minister of Mandalore. Satine is imprisoned in a cell next to that of the former Prime Minister Almec, who was jailed for his involvement in a black market conspiracy. Almec is hardly regretful of his actions, and he enjoys the irony of Satine's sentence. And as soon as I saw him, Mike, I go, something's up with him. You know, they're Mm going to use him. And and it's kind of, I'm sure a lot of people saw that. Uh, You know, we haven't seen Almec in, uh, we saw him at the, let's see, Mandalore plot, I believe, where he was the one that was exposed as the leader of the black market network. This is the one about the poison tea that we all love so much. Um, but uh, yeah, so Almec's back, and as like I said, as soon as I saw him, I go, "Uh oh, here's uh, you know he's not back just to say hi to Satine. You know, this is this is going somewhere." And I didn't know exactly where, but I think a lot of us knew that he was going to be used somehow. So yes, uh, go ahead. Uh, in the royal chambers, Vizsla declares a victory to Maul. They now have rule of Mandalore and a captive Satine with which to lure Obi-Wan Kenobi into a trap. Maul calls Vizsla's pl- proclamation premature, as he now plans to begin expanding his criminal empire to other neutral worlds. Vizsla, however, has no interest in expansion. 
His only goal was to reclaim Mandalore, and he has succeeded. He is done with Maul, and his troops pull their blasters on the Sith Lord, confiscate his lightsaber, and take him prisoner. The transition of power will be seamless. We now have the support of the people and Satine to bait Kenobi. With his demise, our deal will be complete. Your oversight requires correction. We now have a base, an army, and the means to expand to other neutral systems. It wasn't an oversight. It was intentional. I don't have an interest in the other systems. Your vision no longer matters. Oh, don't fret. I'll still honor our deal. Kenobi will be dealt with. But now you'll do as I say. And I'll tell you what, Mike, this is another great scene. I love this scene. Uh, Previs's plan is complete. You know, he's got, you know, Satine to bait Kenobi. He's got the support of Mandalore. Uh, you know, he's got Maul where he wants mm-hmm. him. You know, he's going to deal with him. You know, and then Maul explains that all you got is an army and a base, you know, is, and that's all he wanted. You know, he, Maul doesn't, you know, these both, both these guys that we've seen are, are playing each other. And I guess Vizsla is the one to take the first shot, you know, and, and of course it doesn't upset Maul at all. He's, he, you know, he's just taking this in stride and he might have to alter his plan a little bit, but uh, it's not going to change uh, anything that he has planned. So, uh, you know, and, and, and again, he wants to expand Maul does to, to more systems. You know, this is just the beginning for him. You know, he's going after Mike, he's going after the big boys. Yes. You know, so he's got a long, he's got, he's got some things to do still. But uh, according to the Vizsla, he's done. But what do you think, Mike? Uh, well, you know what? Vizsla made one one very major mistake, and that was not killing Darth Maul right now. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. Uh, yeah. Had he not gone about chatting with with Maul and and uh, giving him the opportunity to figure out another uh, way of dealing with this, if he had just walked up behind him and ignited the Darksaber through his chest, uh, with, you know, he could have saved himself a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. I, but instead, he's got to uh, think that he's better. Than I think, And I think that's the biggest thing, is that Pre Vizsla has this pride about him, that the Mandalorians are the greatest warriors in the galaxy, and... Uh, mm-hmm. They might be good, but I don't think that it's it's. First of all, it's been a long time since the Mandalorians fought a Jedi, and I don't know that too many Mandalorians have fought Sith and learned to li- sorry live to to talk about it. Mm. So, uh, you know, much less a Sith as powerful as as uh, Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I Savage Opress, I think Previsla could have taken him easily. I, I, Savage is, is brute force and not a lot else. Right. Um, but Darth Maul is clever and cunning, and as we see in the, in the in the fight scene at the end of this episode, I mean he is he's not one to be taken lightly, and not not just because of his physical strength, but because he knows how to use it. So mm, right. So yeah. he had his opportunity and he missed it. Yeah. But. Oh, yeah. This was it. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah, it's that's going to come back to bite him. Uh, Vizsla addresses the people of Mandalore, declaring peace on the planet. 
He parades a shackled mall before the citizens as an example of the predators looking to pounce on weak pacifist societies. Under Vizsla's new leadership, no one will ever threaten Mandalore again. In the royal prison, Maul and Savage share a cell. Maul does not seem phased at this reversal. In fact, he has anticipated it. The Sith intend to replace Vizsla with a more malleable leader, and Vizsla has unwittingly placed them within the reach of several candidates. At Maul's command, Savage uses the Force to shatter the walls of their cell and overpower their prison guard. Maul approaches the imprisoned Duchess Satine and tells her that he will have a use for her in due time. He then moves on to Elmec, who is far more corruptible and less idealistic than the Duchess. Maul recruits Almec to his cause, offering him a return to office. Almec wonders how the two Sith brothers can sway the support of the people away from Vizsla and the Death Watch, and Maul reveals his plan to challenge Vizsla in single combat for the right to rule Mandalore. A challenge he knows the honor-bound warrior won't refuse. So this is the whole plan. And you know, yeah. this is this is the Great one scene, place. Yeah. This is the one place where I had a little bit of an issue. I would have liked it if Almec would have suggested this plan to Darth Maul. Um, I do like that Darth Maul is clever and he's five steps ahead. But I would have appreciated the the plan a little bit more if it would have been coming from somebody who did actually know Mandalorian culture well enough to say, mm-hmm. you know, if you challenge him to single combat, he can't refuse you. And if you defeat him, his Mandalorian, like Death Watch, will have to follow you. They'll have no choice. Right. They'll be honor bound to do it. Um, had that, had that happened, uh, I I would have been a little bit more comfortable with it. It was a little bit too, um, I don't know. It just felt a little bit too contrived that Darth Maul had figured this out on his own. I uh, I don't know when he. You don't think it he's out. smart enough to do that. I think he's smart enough. I just feel like... And and I don't have a problem with him having figured out this plan on his own. I have a problem with him sort of revealing it in the way that he did. I think if it had been set up prior in some way, you know, like if they had dropped the line of dialogue somewhere and he had sort of put two and two together, mm-hmm. that we could have seen the thought process. I think that's where I'm having the, the trouble with it, is that... We're just supposed to take for granted that he, like, it's almost like he's making an assumption that if he walks up to Pre Vizsla and challenges him to single combat, that he'll have no choice. Well, what are you basing that on? Mm -hmm. Like, what's Darth Maul basing that on? His his honor-bound warrior spirit? Because that's not, for an intelligent, sort of Machiavellian villain like, like Darth Maul and like, like, Darth Sidious, which is who he's sort of being modeled after right now, uh, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of like the setup and then the reward. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. So, but I mean, like, if that's going to be my only complaint in this episode, I mean, geez, that and who puts, you know, Duchess Satine in this next to the cell (laughs) with with Almec, and then, you know, why would you put two Sith in a glass? cage yeah i know it that just was... doesn't seem like a good idea i'm pretty sure that savage could have just broken through that glass with his hands yeah right, right. and i mean i'm sure that it was some sort of amazing i i dura steel transpara plastic 
something or other space material. But at the same time, like we've seen Savage Press do some pretty crazy stuff. So yeah. Well, we see Savage use his power of the Force right here, which is really cool. And it's important. It's important to know, Mike, that you know, like you just said, I think both of them, Maul and Savage, could have easily put an end to to all the semantics that are going on there. I mean, they could have yeah. busted out real easily. Uh, they could have, you know. Oh, they didn't even some... have. They didn't even have to 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 go into yeah. the prison, right? No, like, exactly. That's the yeah. thing is that right, they only right. went in there to humor. Uh, yeah. I, exactly. Previsla. Previsla. I think yeah. I think what they have is what Luke Skywalker thought he had going into Jabba's palace. Right. Right. Luke kind of walks into Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi with this attitude of like, "Look, dude, I'm a Jedi Knight. You can't stop me." Right. He'd clearly been reading a couple of books that Obi Wan had in his hovel, uh, a couple of holocrons, let's say, and hearing about what a Jedi could do, and he was like, "Yeah, if if I'm in that situation, I can do the same thing." And uh, and it's like no now we see what what it's actually like this is what a Sith or a Jedi is actually capable of they are for all intents and purposes unstoppable mm-hmm. against conventional means I mean the only one who can stop a Sith or a Jedi for the most part I think is a Sith or a Jedi did did they ever know that Maul and Savage are uh, you know, basically Sith. I'm trying to think back because why would they put them in a cell where they know, you know, easily they're going to be able to break out of a glass well, cell? You know what I'm saying? I, in, in the of last course, episode, they took away their lightsabers. Yeah. In the last episode, Previsla does say, You're no Jedi. You're like no type of Jedi I've ever seen. Yeah. And Darth Maul says, We are not Jedi. We are Sith. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we are Sith Lords, I think he says. Yeah. Um, True Lords of the Sith, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so I think I I think like that what you're seeing here is a lack of knowledge on Pre Vizsla's part mm-hmm. is that he doesn't know what that means. Right. He, That's what he, I'm thinking, I think, yeah. I think he begins to understand that like it, it's got something to do with the Jedi. But like I said last week, Pre Vizsla has the arrogance to think that he could handle Obi Wan Kenobi if they got to fight again. Right. Right? Like if they had a rematch he could take down Obi-Wan. And that is so far from the truth. Mm-hmm. I think that that I they as we see in this episode, we're about to talk about it, will that that I that Previsla definitely has stepped up his game since the last time that we saw him face down somebody with a lightsaber. But I as as great as he was against Darth Maul, Obi-Wan Kenobi was just as good. Mm-hmm. Against Maul and Savage, yeah, and he won. <laughs> so yeah, right, right. So you know, like Previsla just has this really arrogant sense of himself, where I think he he feels like you know he can deal with these Sith because they're they they're no powerful, no more powerful than a Jedi, and and you know he's gonna lure Obi Wan and and kill Obi Wan. That's his next plan. That's his next move. Right. Right. So I uh, in that. I think that's where where you start to see the flawed logic of of Previsla. In that, first of all, he thinks that that a Sith is the same thing as a Jedi, which they are not. And second, that he is somehow comparable to either of them. Right, right, <laughs> right. So, or not even <laughs> yeah. comparable, but superior. So, yeah. Plus, uh, he's got the backing of all the other Death Watch. So, yes, uh, I guess so. Uh, Maul, here we go. Like Maul, Savage, and Almec burst into the royal chamber. 
where Previsla sits on the throne. Maul calls out Vizsla to a duel before his soldiers. Per Mandalorian tradition, Vizsla has no choice but to accept, and he orders Bo-Katan to return Maul's lightsaber to him. Vizsla ignites his ancient darksaber and charges at the Sith Lord. A fierce battle ensues, with Vizsla employing his jetpack and his full arsenal of weapons and gadgets to try and gain the upper hand. Eventually, each warrior disarms the other, and a saber duel turns into a vicious hand-to-hand brawl. The fight ends when Maul throws Vizsla to the ground, takes up his darksaber, and beheads the Mandalorian leader. Maul declares himself the new leader of Death Watch, and many of Vizsla's soldiers bow before the Sith Lord. Bo-Katan calls them all traitors and refuses to accept the rule of an outsider. A few of the soldiers side with her, and they flee the palace before Maul can have them executed. And we said in the beginning, Mike, probably, or I'm going to say it right now, the best duel in Star Wars The Clone Wars yet. I mean, it had everything. Let's talk about it right now. Let's break it down, Mike. I got like six or seven things that I that I marked down in this particular duel. But uh, what, why don't you go ahead and uh, overall initial impressions, I guess, of, uh, of this thing. Uh, this is the best choreographed fight we have mm-hmm. seen on The Clone Wars. Yeah. By far. I, I I don't think that there's another one that I can even put on this level. Uh, the only one that's going to come close, the, the, the saber battle from Revival was pretty good, but it was very quick. Right. And a much different situation. They were in an enclosed space, and it you know it was two-on-one. Um, and an amazing showing by Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, and, and one of my favorite Obi-Wan moments in the series. But the only other fight that I could really put on the same level as this would be... Uh, in uh was the hunt for zero when i uh, obi-wan yeah. and i uh, cad bane and, and quinlan voss, quinlan voss yeah. were chasing down cad bane and you got the moment where cad bane got a lightsaber for a second right. but he also had the jets on his feet and he also had his blasters and his flamethrower and so we kind of got that mixed battle of like you know it was kind of right now it's this and now it's this and now we're going to switch to this but as much as those two battles share, this one is light years beyond it. I uh, yeah, this is this is hands down the best fight we have ever seen in the Clone Wars. Uh, but it's gonna be short lived because next week I think we're gonna see one that puts this to shame. But I think they'll also it'll also be very different. That's gonna be straight lightsabers. Uh, and force powers, whereas this one was lightsabers, force powers, Mandalorian. I mean, this is this is the fight that I think we wanted between Obi Wan and Jango mm-hmm. in Attack of the Clones, and I think that's what Dave was going for. I right. think that that when you're when you're directing a show like the Clone Wars, you really have to set high water marks for yourself, and when when this script when this uh, uh, story came across his desk, I'm sure the first thing that he thought was well it's got to be better than the fight in Attack of the Clones if it's not everybody's just going to go crazy mm-hmm. like everybody's just going to be like yeah that was alright right you know people are just going to they're going <laughs> to they're going to be like really Darth Maul versus versus a Mandalorian and that's what you gave us that would that was no better than the fight in in Attack of the Clones, right? Um, 
So I think he knew that he had to step it up and that this had to be the fight to end all fights. Right. Up until next week, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and they pulled out all the stops. Every single trick in Pre Vizsla's bag got pulled out during this battle. Uh, he used the flamethrower. He used the, the uh, cable. Yeah. Right, they wrapped him in the cable. He used the shurikens, uh, blasters, uh, the rocket. He used a rocket, right? Uh, well, he used grenades. Uh, he used grenades. Sorry, grenades. The yeah, saw grenades. blades. The saw yeah. blades. You said that. Um, yeah. Flamethrower and, and and the dark saber, which is and the dark saber, yeah, yeah, which is a um a weapon that that I don't think that that we've. Uh, that any other Mandalorian has access to. So uh, that's sort of like, that's a lot of wish fulfillment on that one. I, I think one of the things uh, is that, you know, Dave said this in the, in the behind the scenes from the last episode in regards to the Mandalorians attacking uh, Jabba's palace. It's like all of those things that everybody did with their action figures, the stories that they told with their, with their Kenner and Hasbro action figures as kids you know, sort of just making up your own fight. And who of us didn't take a lightsaber from Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader and hand it to Boba Fett, right? And go, now that would be a cool fight. <laughs> yeah. And that's what we got. And yeah. you know what? Like, I am ashamed for not seeing sooner that the second that Pre Vizsla and Darth Maul were put together, that, Pre Vizsla, that Darth Maul was going to end up with the Darksaber. Mm-hmm. I, I mean... Come on, we should have all seen that coming, especially when Darth Maul never restored his lightsaber. When he continued to walk around with his busted, sliced in half one side of his double bladed lightsaber, I think we all should have been going like, why? Like, I, I did, I questioned it. I was like, why has he not built a new lightsaber? I mean, you've yeah. got Savage Opress walking around with a double bladed lightsaber, but the, the, like, the original double bladed lightsaber wielder it just has one one blade like that doesn't make any sense but now it makes sense if he had built a new lightsaber he wouldn't have been quite as quick to grab the dark saber and claim it for himself but <laughs> but i guarantee you the second that he saw that thing unsheathed i uh, or ignited as it were uh he went that's gonna be mine that's part of my plan now <laughs> if for nothing else it will be because mine. it's it's gonna look awesome i mean yeah, it's it's a uh, it couldn't have worked better, and that's when I say like these episodes just flow, and the stories just kind of work. It's just it's all so perfect. I mean, man, these this story, this arc, the four episodes, in my opinion, will be as good as Revenge of the Sith mm-hmm. when it's done. Yeah. In my eyes, like I will stop and I will look at it and I'll go the the. The rise of Darth Maul is a movie on the level of any of the prequels. Um, I think I can already say that that it's better than Episode One. It's better than Episode Two so far. I mean, it, it's just been—it's so excellent. It's done so much for the Clone Wars, and it's really made—it's given the Clone Wars an identity. And I don't think that the Clone Wars necessarily needed an identity. I mean. The battle between the Separatists and the Jedi and the Republic was enough, but 
The Clone Wars now has its own story. It's no longer filler between episode two and episode three. There is all of this other stuff that's going on, but this stuff that's happened with Darth Maul and and Obi-Wan is... uh, It's its own... It's its own story. It's its own Mm -hmm. thing. It's not dependent on starting at episode two and ending at episode three. It is just a star wars story it's self-contained it's it's its own really well fleshed out arc not just this this arc of episodes but like i said we kind of have three three mini movies or three movies really i mean when you get down to it four episodes really makes a movie so Mm -hmm. i mean Yeah. yeah it just it's 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 amazing to think they're still making episodes and we've got we have a we know we have at least one more season to go uh at least a season six if not a season seven as well and i can only imagine where they're gonna go from here i mean yeah this is just incredible but yeah we do have to close out this bit do you have anything else to add i would just say that as far as this duel though um one i love what they did with the sound of maul when he first Mm -hmm. came in it was kind of like a roar that he did when he ignited ignited his own saber uh i noticed that uh, you talked about the Mandalorians and their use of all their accoutrements. I mean, it was it was crazy. You know, flamethrowers, like you said, grenades, saw blades, lassos. They got all that. Um, again, like you said, you can see the action. You can see the choreography as as they're fighting. Uh, that's something I've talked about before, and I appreciated um, uh, the scraping of the dark saber on the floor. And as he's coming, you know, I don't yes. know if you remember that part where he he scrapes on the floor and the glass kind of flies up out of yeah. Maul's face. Um, and uh, the camera angle as Maul ignites the Darksaber when he finally has it, uh, it kind of zooms in right on his face and it, it lights up right in front of you. I mean, just, just the camera work, everything, the choreography. It was just, that's why I think it is it is one of the best duels in, in the Star Wars saga. Mike, we're not even talking Clone Wars, but in the saga yeah. itself. So, yeah. uh, and I'll just, the last thing I'll say is, wow, you know, the jetpack does them in again. I, I tell you what, jetpacks and Mandalorians, man, they just don't get along anymore. Right? They got to do something about those. You know what the I'm saying? Second, the <laughs> second that jetpack fizzed, I was like, that's the end. He's done. Yeah, like, yeah. that's it. Yeah. That that is the thing that that I think gives a Mandalorian their edge is is that like the armor is one part of it. I think the mystique is another part of it. Like they definitely have an intimidation factor, although I don't know that that works very well against Darth Maul. Yeah. Um, but anybody else, I think it's pretty good. Uh, but that jetpack is really sort of the key to their. It's so their, good, but it can be so their bad. way of fighting. <laughs> yeah, but. But when you rely on technology, you know, yeah, if it yeah. if it lets you down, then, you know. Yeah, it's definitely good. Mike, uh, you want to finish it up? Yeah, I'll finish this off. Uh, Almec appears on the royal balcony before the Mandalorian people. He spins a shocker of a lie that Duchess Satine has murdered Pre Vizsla. Satine is now under arrest, and Almec claims it was Vizsla's last request that he be reinstated as prime minister. Almec then retire, uh, retreats into the palace to receive his orders from Maul, who now sits on the throne of Mandalore. But I promise you, I take full responsibility for my people, and my heart now bleeds for your pain. However, from this point on, Mandalore will be strong, 
and we will be known as the warriors we were always meant to be. You have done well, Prime Minister. I shall waste no time in building my administration. Choose wisely. I will hold you personally responsible for their failures. Yes, Master. Uh, is there anything more you require? Go. Rule my people. And that's how we finish it up, Mike, for this week. And, mm -hmm. and Maul is, is sitting at the throne, and he's got everything. All his plans are lining up. I mean, his Sidious, Sidious, the teachings of Sidious are definitely, uh, yes. you know, he's, he's showing everything that Sidious does. And he's standing behind the scenes doing the puppet master thing, and he's got Almec uh, in place. And we're setting up for a huge finale to this uh to this arc so absolutely that's how we ended and up so i uh, so here I, I just want to talk really quickly because we kind of glossed over bo katan and her yeah you got her move at the end of because we were so focused on the fight oh yeah so yeah so bo katan she refuses to follow maul for mm -hmm. good reason very logical sound reason because he's insane and evil so i uh, she runs off and we know that she's going to run off and uh and get Obi-Wan and uh, her own crew of Mandalorians, the the loyal Death Watch. Mm -hmm. um, I would call them loyal Mandalorians. And the reason why I say that is because I don't expect Satine to make it out of this. I also don't expect Almec to make it out of this. Right. No, I don't uh, and Mandalore is going to be left without a leader. Uh, and and ah. Bo-Katan, I think, is in position... Hmm. To become that leader, and I think that she's, she is somewhere in between, pre Vizsla, and, and Duchess Satine. Yeah, and that she could be, maybe the leader that Mandalore deserves. Hmm. That uh, that you know that will, that will honor the warrior tradition, but, also the pacifist tradition. Because I do like I I. I do subscribe to the to the belief that that that's a big part of Mandalore, and that everything that Satine says is is correct and true, but not at the expense of the other aspect of their culture, mm -hmm. because their uh, their warrior past I think is a very big part of that as well. And I think that like you need to strike a balance with that. It needs to be much like the Jedi, who are way far to one side, and and they're sort of their their lofty ideals and their arrogance leads to their downfall. I think that the same thing is happening with the with the Mandalorians here. I think it's a very a very similar story of of this sort of warrior culture. Um, the this I I and because Mandalorians they're not just they're not all death and mayhem. Uh, they are also honorable and they're also clever and intelligent and. And well-rounded. I mean, that's what the real history is all about when it comes to Mandalore. So, mm -hmm. I, I, you talk about. I, I mean, some of this this backstory is all kind of been wiped away with the Clone Wars, I, I, retcon. But I, I, let's see. It was Jango Fett. 
what was the name of that comic? Oh, Open Season. Open Season. That yeah. that had him. It was sort of his backstory and how he learned under Jaster Mareel, right? Who mm-hmm. was the, the the you know on Concord Dawn and mm-hmm. who was sort of his uh, his mentor, right? Um, and and we got more of a sense that that the that the Mandalorians were honorable and 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 intelligent and that you know and in that death watch was sort of the opposite side to that they were much like it was much like the jedi and the sith uh they're sort of opposite sides of the same coin mm-hmm. um so i i think i feel that bo represents that that balanced aspect of the mandalorian history of, of both aspects of their culture and so i can see her taking a seat uh, as as prime minister of Mandalore hmm, at the end of at the end of all of this when everything's said and done, um, the fact that she's willing to ally herself with Obi Wan after having fought Obi Wan, yeah, I, I I think speaks a lot to that. I don't think that Previsla would have had that, and Duchess Satine on the opposite end of that doesn't have the the um, I I she doesn't. She's too tied to her ideals to fight back, mm-hmm. and I think that that's a that is a weakness, and not like a physical weakness, but an ideological weakness. And I think that that it's interesting when you get to see that that pacifist, true, like full pacifism, is not the right answer either, because it leaves you open to, uh, as we've seen with all mech corruption, it leaves you open to attack, as we've seen in this episode. Uh, it leaves you open to a lot of things, and as a leader, you can't you can't afford that that luxury of your ideals, right? Right. Um, sometimes you have to to make choices that are against what you would do personally, in the interest of the people, in the best interest of the people, which is something that Almec was getting at, but Almec was a little bit too corrupt, right? So we have right. all of these examples of how not to rule Mandalore. And then I think in there, Bo-Katan is an example of how it could be done. So, right, that's good. I, I like that theory on uh, Bo-Katan. I didn't even think about that. You know, obviously she she is like you said, very aware of the the Mandalore warrior way, and and to see Maul come in, she's like had mm-hmm. no had no part of it. So interesting concept. I like. We'll see how that ends up. Uh, we'll find. I guess we'll find out next week. Uh, but we got to get to some. Uh, Facebook mail. You want to do that? Yes, let's do it. All right. Wait a minute. Play back the entire message. Where are those transmissions you intercepted? He is carrying a message from an Obi-Wan Kenobi. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. I saw part of the message. You... I see you found it. All right, Mike. We got something from Facebook today. You wanted to... You got that up? Yeah, yeah. Jack okay. Odea or Odea, Odea, Odea. You gotta, you gotta write in, Jack, and tell me how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> uh, for some reason, he says, for some reason, I'm eighty percent sure this season is going to run at least twenty six episodes long. The young Jedi arc wasn't originally going to be in the Clone Wars, and now they either have to move four episodes to season six or add on to season five. Uh, so I wanted to clear stuff up, and I, I posted a comment on on this uh in the facebook group but i just wanted to sort of take the opportunity on the on the show to to put this out there i go back watch some of the behind the scenes stuff listen to uh download the latest episode of rebel for or sorry not the latest the the first episode of rebel force radio and listen to dave dave filoni and his interview on that because 
Jimmy and Jason, to their credit, great interviewers that they are, they asked. They they wanted to to clear the air on that and and get to the get to the bottom of that that rumor that the young Jedi arc was not intended to be a part of the Clone Wars. And Dave says in that interview that yes, it always was. When they did it, they took a look at it like this. Kind of took a second look and went, "We've got something here that I, that I think we could do something else with. Let's explore that opportunity." I think that might be one of the reasons why we've ended up with a bit of a wonky season. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, the uh, the moving of revival to the beginning of the season has shaken things up a little bit, and uh, and 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 I think that they they had other plans for how the season was going to play out, uh, but it's played out the way that it has. So, I. Uh, because uh, if you look at it, the fact that we got... So we had an extra episode added on at the beginning of the season. And then we had a three-episode arc pulled out of the season and placed we don't even know where yet, right? And that's the Clovis arc. So instead, what we got was a four-episode arc, the droid arc, tacked on after the Young Jedi arc. Now, if you had taken Revival out of the beginning of the season... And you moved the droid arc to the beginning of January, starting in January, going straight through four weeks. And you put the Clovis arc back before the Young Jedi arc, where it was originally supposed to air. You would have had a clean break at the end of 2012. You would have had a wrapped up arc with the Young Jedi, ready to come back after after the break, after Christmas break, for the droid arc then go into the Darth Maul, Savage Opress, Pre-Vizsla stuff, and then into the end of the season with with Ahsoka. Um, But instead, what we got was this messed up jumble, because you move Revival to the beginning of the season, which is the first part of this four-part arc. So now we've got a three-part arc that's really supposed to be a four-part arc. We have a three-part arc that we had to pull out of the beginning of the season, Mm -hmm. but we needed at least two more episodes, so let's split the droid arc in half. We'll do the first half, then we'll come back with the clone commando. That'll be fun. It'll be the 100th episode. That'll all work. We'll go into this other stuff. But the thing is, is that we have not gotten a clear indication of where that the Rush Clovis arc is going to fall. Mm-hmm. So what we've got right now, I uh, as as far as IMDb is concerned, there will be twenty episodes to this season. As as far as we know, that's what it's going to be. I don't think this is accurate. I think what we're going to get because right now it says, uh, let's see, right now we're at Shades of Reason. This Friday we're it was Friday Saturday. We're going to get the Lawless, uh, and then it's got an episode titled Sabotage which could be the first part of a four-part arc with Ahsoka. It could be a standalone episode, some people have speculated, Hmm. Um, which I think would be interesting because I don't think we've gotten a standalone episode this season. Um, But then we've got the Jedi who knew too much, to catch a Jedi, and the wrong Jedi. Those definitely sound like an arc. Sabotage feels like it might not be a part of it. Now, here's the thing. Okay, here's the wrench that could be thrown into the works. Sabotage could be the end of the Darth Maul Mandalorian arc. Hmm. We don't know. We don't know for 
Yeah, we don't know for a fact that it's going to be a four-part arc. They could be breaking that because that so far that's the most we've ever gotten is four episodes in an arc. Mm-hmm. They could be breaking that this time. Sabotage could be the end of this arc. Okay. Right. Sabotage could also not be an episode because I don't remember reading that anywhere else. I don't remember reading that in Star Wars Insider. I don't know where the, I, I I'd have to look at, look that up on on Wikipedia uh, for where that title came from. I don't remember seeing it anywhere. But if you added back in uh, the Rush Clovis arc, you'd have a 23-episode season. I think the most likely thing is that either Sabotage is the first part of the Ahsoka arc, or it's a standalone episode, one or the other. Mm-hmm. The Rush Clovis arc is a three-episode arc. We know that. I think we're, we're fairly sure of that. So that can be put in, I, I think after the Lawless, I think that's what we'll get. If we don't get Sabotage, that's what we'll get. And then I I think what we'll get is, is if Sabotage is the first part of the Ahsoka arc, we'll get that. Then we'll get the Jedi who knew too much. And then I think we will get to catch a Jedi and the wrong Jedi in one episode. I, I think that they'll, not necessarily in one episode, but in one night. Right. So they'll they'll air those back to back. So in a, in essence, we will have twenty two nights of the Clone Wars. Just an extra episode. But an extra episode right. tacked on to the end of the season, which is really common. I uh, Arrow, if you if you're if you're listening to my other podcast, Quiver the Green Arrow podcast, quiverpodcast.com for those that are interested. Just had to throw the plug in there. <laughs> I if you're if you're following Arrow, Arrow got a twenty third episode added on to its season. Because what they'll do is they'll do a two-hour season finale. Hmm. So what that means is that rather than like it's not necessarily that they decided that they needed another episode to tell a story, they wanted another hour to tell the story of the final episode. To catch a Jedi and the wrong Jedi, I guarantee all of this stuff that we have been hearing about Matt Lanter and Ashley Eckstein and every the room being cleared and only them and Dave. And I believe the technician who hits record. Yeah. <laughs> they are the only ones who huh. know what happened there. Right. Um, that that scene is going to be in one of those two episodes. Uh, and it's. I think that's going to be our season finale cliffhanger. I think that's going to be right. the end of our season. Um, so that's my that's my two cents on it. I could be way off base. But based on all of the information that we have and uh, based on the way that previous seasons have gone and on the way that TV generally works and on Dave Filoni and his sneaky, sneaky Dave Filoni-ness, yeah. uh, his Filoniosity, let's say, <laughs> coin a phrase, I, I think that's what we can expect. And I think, I think we'd all be happy with that. I think we'd all be really disappointed with a 20-episode season. And uh, and and we've seen the clips from the Rush Clovis stuff. It may not be the most exciting thing that happens this season, but I think it's going to be a good arc. Yeah. Embo's uh, oh. back. There's that wicked scene of them sort of 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 uh, Anakin, Rush, and Padme in the speeder that's sort of hurtling down a snowbank, snow cliff, I should say, and uh, and Embo sliding behind them on his hat on his hat yeah. uh, and uh and i would be really upset if we had to wait until september to see that yeah 
No, I I think you're right. So, I think I think you may be onto something there. Uh, definitely, I definitely think it's going to be more than twenty episodes. Uh, I think you're yeah. right, though. It could be that twenty second could be a two hour, not two hour, a one hour though. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and there see. You go. Yeah. But yeah. until then, I think we'll just have to be we'll we'll just have to tie ourselves over with uh, next week's episode. Next week. Oh my gosh. Uh, speaking of next week, it's called the Lawless. Uh, with the backing of an army composed of the galaxy's most vicious criminal organizations, will Darth Maul have his vengeance against Obi-Wan Kenobi, or will the Jedi Knight escape his grasp? And if so, at what cost? So, uh, let's take a quick listen to what's coming next week. And you kind of hear in the background, Mike, that it kind of shades of uh, Star Wars when when uh, they knocked out the uh, stormtrooper on the Millennium mm-hmm. Falcon. They, Obi-Wan does this to uh, to one of the Man- Mandalorians and takes over his stuff. So I don't know if you got a chance to see that clip. I, I did not get a chance to see okay. that video. All I've seen from next week's episode is the is Obi-Wan flying around a Mandalorian army. Oh, okay. So that's probably a little hard for you. Um, basically what it was is... Uh, is that the Twilight? Is it's it the, the Twilight? Twilight? Yeah, it's the Twilight. And it's it's actually awesome. a funny scene. He gets off of it and it's, it's creaking around. The, the landing platform doesn't go all the way down. So he kind of jumps up to knock it down. Uh, it's it's pretty funny. I mean, hopefully you get a chance to see it. It's, it's really funny, and he talks about the ship right there. And uh, so hopefully, hopefully we'll get to see the fate of of the Twilight. Or yeah, yeah, you know, like that. This will be the episode where it can be put to rest because, like, <laughs> I I mean, I mentioned it earlier this season. Yeah, where is whatever it? happened to the Twilight, right? Because we saw it in the uh, in that one episode during the Jedi Young Jedi arc. So yeah, we yeah. saw a Twilight like ship. So. Right. Um, so that's that's yeah, exciting. That's exciting yeah. to see it again. That's kind of sets up next week, and it's called the Lawless. And if you listen to, like you said, Mike, you mentioned Dave Filoni talking about the current episode we're talking about now. Uh, if you go behind the scenes and watch that featurette, Dave Filoni talks about how you know they wanted to make this this uh, pre Vizsla Darth Maul fight, you know, really something that uh, we would all love. And he says at the end, and that he says, if you thought that was good wait till next week yes or he says something like if you thought that was the best we've done wait till next week so that that doesn't get you pumped up for next week nothing will that's going to be the law it's coming up in just a few days friday for you saturday for us in the states 
Yes. Uh, but that brings the episode to a close. So yes. thank you yeah. guys for listening. Don't forget to check us out online at www.clonewarspodcast.com. On Facebook at facebook.com slash clonewarspodcast. On Twitter at twitter.com slash clonewars. And send all your comments, questions, and feedback to mail at clonewarspodcast.com. So thank you guys for listening. And we will see you next week on Frontline's The Clone Wars Podcast. See you guys next week. Well, another close to another wonderful show. Obi-Wan Kenobi here saying thank you for listening to Frontline's The Clone Wars Podcast. Brought to you, of course, by StarWarsDaily.com. The force is strong with you all, and it will be with you always.